Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. And today I have a husband and wife team on who will inspire you. Maggie Jones is a cancer thriver and her husband Brad is a documentarian and together they're changing the world with their candor and storytelling about her as a stage four cancer survivor. If you know anyone with cancer, have him or her listen to this. Go to the show notes for more information. You'll get to meet them right after this. All right, let's spend some time right now thinking about the flooring in your home. If you're home, that's easy. You can look down and go, meh. And if you're in your car, you're someplace else listening to this podcast, it may not bring you uh, happy, happy feelings when you think about your flooring and you think you need to replace it. I got a guy. I got a guy and a gal. Uh, In fact, I've got the entire Akel family just about. Akel's Carpet One, akelscarpetone.com, three locations in central Arkansas. These people know flooring. In fact, not only do they know flooring, they're very generous about their flooring. And I say that not just their flooring, all the products that they sell now at Akel's Carpet One. In fact, if you have a home, an entire remodel, they can take care of just about everything but the appliances. It is really sealing the floor now because they have things like kitchen tile. They've got your backsplash. They can do, obviously, the flooring. They can do the fixtures. They can do the cabinets, all the things. But let me tell you about some of the options that they offer. One is if you don't love your floors, they'll replace them for free. Yeah, the floors you get from them. And they've got a 10-year warranty on the stains for all custom rugs. And these are the people that beat the big box store prices. Why haven't you called them? So many of my referrals have reached out to Akels. I appreciate it. Tell them Lisa Fisher sent you. AkelsCarpetOne.com. It's a great day when I get to talk about what they do at David's Burgers. You're thinking, what do you mean what they do? They serve burgers. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they serve burgers that uh, this grade A chuck beef that's fresh, never frozen. They have the highest quality of potatoes that they hand slice every day and they serve it to you. That's all they do, guys. It really is. Now they have a, you know, a chicken sandwich or grilled cheese, but you're going for the burger. Let me tell you, I, I'm a connoisseur of burgers. It's uh, part of the diet I have. I talk about my meat-based diet that's beef, bacon, butter, and eggs rice and local fruits in season, some dairy. My family and I can go to David's Burgers and everybody's happy because we know that you get the endless fries for the table. Oh, my granddaughters love it. We know you get ice cream at the end and you can have the sweet tea, the unsweet tea. And then, I mean, if that's not enough, you can buy steaks to take home. (laughs) Yeah, they have some of the steaks there that they sell and I get the ribeye steaks there and some other things. There's a chuck eye steak that Jesse Bubbas has gotten me hooked on that is so good that you sear and cook uh, in the black skillet. And then I cooked it long one time, slow, low and slow, as they say. Y'all, it was so good. But these are just some of the things you get at David's Burgers. They are closed on Sundays. The Bubbas family has been flipping burgers a long time, 10 years with this group, uh, davidsburgers.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. 
Okay, I love it when we have a husband and wife team. I can't think of any other. I think one other time we've done this. So uh, you lovebirds are going to recount an incredible story, um, devotion to one another, but also devotion to fighting for your health, Maggie. Your story's incredible. Your Instagram, your social media is so inspiring. You're so brave. And And I'm saying that because in today's day and age, we can't say what our truth anymore. <laughs> we used to be able to tell what happened to us. And when we do, then the platform, I saw where Reddit uh, shook its finger at you because you were just telling your story. But now you can tell it here on the Lisa Fisher Said podcast. Tell me your story and what's happened since it unfolded. Wow. So I guess the drama of my story started in 2018. Brad and I had just moved from our home in Los Angeles to Hong Kong, and we were ready for a new adventure. And exactly one month after moving, we got that adventure, not what we were looking for, but I was diagnosed with terminal stage four non-smokers lung cancer that by the time we caught it had spread to my brain, my eye, and dozens of lymph nodes throughout my neck, chest, and abdomen. The median survival for somebody with lung cancer that spread to the brain is six to eight months with conventional palliative treatments. At the time, very much a fan of allopathic medicine. I wanted to do anything I can just to get this cancer out, help me live longer with Brad. And even though chemotherapy and radiation were never meant to cure me, there was no cure. My cancer was inoperable, incurable, terminal. I was supposed to maybe extend my life for a few months, and I was very grateful for that opportunity. So I did all of the conventional treatments that they offered, a uh, chemotherapy, TKI, and some brain radiation. But I also did my own research. And I'm always grateful for the conventional treatment for buying me a little bit of time to do the research that turned up what I now credit with saving my life, or at least prolonging it this long. And that was the Metabolic Theory of Cancer, which is a published, peer-reviewed, very well-known set of, or theory about how cancer develops, but also the therapies that can help. And these therapies are used either on their own or sometimes better with conventional therapies like chemo and radiation. So I dived in, I got Brad involved and sent him all over Hong Kong looking for some of these foods that I knew were going to cure me or help me improve my outcome. And we slowly started making lifestyle changes that are recommended by this theory. And these are things like a healing diet, fasting, uh, exercise, mindfulness-based stress reduction is a huge thing with me. So I took up meditation, yoga, completely changed our life. It was 180 degrees. And I learned, you know, I never want to blame anybody for getting their cancer. Nobody deserves this. But I realized a lot of things about my lifestyle and my mindset contributed to this diagnosis for me. And I started working on the mental things to be able to change that because all I wanted once I knew how short a time I had on this planet was to actually live during that time. Because most of my life in the past, I'd just been, you know, waiting for life to get good. Let's you know, finish the dishes so I can sit on the couch. Right. Let's finish work so I can retire eventually. And then maybe in the future, I'll be happy. And instead I learned I can be happy right mm. now. And that's, that's a lesson that to me has been priceless. It's changed my life. And I am so grateful to cancer for giving me the opportunity to learn it. So at this time you had gone through conventional chemotherapy and radiation first. Tell me a little bit about that journey. 
So they really just happened simultaneously. When I was diagnosed, it was on a Monday in Hong Kong. And the, you know, at first, the first four days, I was like, oh, very sad. I'm going to die. Let me do it well. Make Brad proud of me. My doctor's proud of me. And then God, Brad took me out of town the first weekend after that diagnosis. And I started reading some books. And I realized that if anybody can survive this, I can survive this. And I started looking mindset. Then into so mindset exactly. immediately changed. That 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 is so powerful. It it is. And I started my very first fast that weekend. And it was tiny. It was 24 hours. Great. I'd never done anything like it before. Awesome. But I I committed myself to like let's live as long as I can. Uh, so yes, then I did start a TKI, a trypsin kinase inhibitor, which is a uh, type of chemotherapy that's a daily pill. It left me so sick. Poor Brad just cleaning up after me. My hair is everywhere. My oh. gastrointestinal system, oh. not optimal. Uh, and the biggest thing for me was the brain radiation. Oh. I had initially two tape tumors when I was diagnosed, and I got uh, stereotactic radiation, which was a very new technology then. You might hear about it as cyber knife or gamma knife. And uh, I was so sick that yeah. first round. Yeah. I was just vomiting, It kills sweating. many, many people. Just the gamma knife that's will kill many people. And so that's what we learned, unfortunately, shortly after I had my second round of gamma knife for two different tumors at the same hospital, same technique, everything. But the thing I knew for the second round is the power of fasting and yeah. its ability to help with the side effects of radiation and chemo. So I fasted that second round. And whereas the first round, I was sick on the couch for three weeks. The second round, I walked home from the hospital and I went back to work for the next Monday. I felt so much better. Unbelievable. Point, Lisa, it did end up causing something called brain radiation necrosis, yes. which has an average survival rate on its own of just 30 months. So I conquered the, the cancer in its way. Right. I was ADD after a year, but then I had this uh, brain injury. Yeah, that, which didn't actually crop up until you'd been kind of cancer-free about a year like a clean scan, I should say. We, we don't like to say cancer for you, but she had a clean scan for about a year, and that's when these issues started pop popping up with the brain radiation necrosis. So the scan could identify the necrosis. So the interesting thing about brain <laughs> necrosis is it's completely indistinguishable in an MRI from cancer progression. So my gosh, Lisa, people, my oh, oncologists were yeah. trying so hard to get me to have more radiation in my brain. Yeah. But at that time, we understood the dangers of radiation from, you know, your guest, Dr. Thomas Safeweed, yes, right. some others, yes. and Brad and I knew we were not going to do it again. And I knew in my heart, because I had studied, that this was necrosis. So eventually, we paid out of pocket for a type of MRI that, well, it's not, it won't tell you for certain, it definitely gives you a good idea that it's necrosis. Yeah, better idea. And since then, the fact that my necrosis legions are in the exact same place as my uh, tumors, my tre previously treated tumors were, that they've stayed stable now for three years. It's pretty obvious, and even my neuro-oncologist is confident that this is necrosis oh, and yeah. not cancer progression. Yeah. But really, the only way to know would be a autopsy or a biopsy, wow. and I'm hoping I won't have one of those anytime in the new future. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, if you're interested in, if anyone watching is more interested in this, this is something that Dr. Thomas Seyfried has talked about quite a bit with his glioblastoma patients. Right. Um, a lot of times this happens where they get a, some kind of a radiation done, and then they have a radiation necrosis, right. which looks like another tumor. Getting more radiation on top of that is is really bad thing to, to, to do to your brain if you don't have a tumor that you're specifically targeting. So 
Um, well, well, yeah, well, we were. One thing you yeah, also we, we got, you're bringing up here is people forget that um, the diagnostic tools can also be inflammatory, um, can also cause other cancers, and people just think, oh, it's just a biopsy. Well, a biopsy takes tissue out, and the needle often then goes back into the mass, and then you don't you just don't know what's happening. What was your decision then? Is it because the brain can't handle um, a biopsy or you just, you wanted to pass on it? For my brain, I think it's pretty evident that it's necrosis. You know, most doctors, all doctors agree now. And really, ultimately, if there ever was a question, I don't feel like it would affect my treatment. It wouldn't affect anything. So there's no reason for me to do that. I am so confident now with how I'm living my life and treating my body. And while death is inevitable for all of us, I don't feel any kind of terror or urgency that I felt during my initial diagnosis. Yeah. For Maggie's specific case, like the way that we actually had an inkling that this might not be more cancer is that it didn't look like her previous scans. Those previous scans where she had a metastasis was like a little tight little ball. This was more like a cloud. Very diffuse. And so even though to the the doctor looking at the scan, they, they can't tell, we just had this gut instinct that it just looked different than how it had yeah. presented itself yeah. before. Um, with the non-smokers lung cancer, um, I know that they often um, treat it with a thoracotomy to remove the mass. Did Was that an option for you in the beginning? No, I was, I was actually very lucky that I had a genetic mutation called ROS1 positive okay. that made it possible for me to have this uh, TKI, this type of chemotherapy. Uh, The first one that I took had an average progression-free survival of up to 14 months. Uh, For me, it lasted about four months. However, the second one that I started after that was not approved in Hong Kong. I was able to get it through compassionate use because I was terminal and we're allowed to- There's no treatments left for you. Yes, there was nothing else. And that one had an average progression-free survival of eight months and I took it for years. And the funny thing is about these medications is there's no, there's no reason why you could go off them. Like there's absolutely no protocol be, until it stops working. And so if you have another treatment that is working for you at the same time that you're taking these medications, doctors will never support you actually going off. Right. And so ultimately, Brad and I made a decision together. We know that that is not the cause of my health. And so I reduced my dosage to about half where there were no more side effects and eventually just stopped taking it. Now we talk about Western medicine. What approach do practitioners in Hong Kong have? Are they more allopathic with more of a Western model or do they look at things homeopathically? The hospital that I went to originally was very Western. In fact, a lot of my doctors here in the States and Washington State went to school with my uh, therapist, things like that. However, just being in the environment of Hong Kong and a place where things like traditional Chinese medicine is medicine, (laughs) we had access to a hospital just around the corner that did acupuncture that prescribed herbalism. And of course, even when I went there, those doctors were, you know, sorry, stage four cancer, the acupuncture is probably not going to help. But what it did help me with was changing that mindset and understanding my body and the relationship between my thoughts and my body. And it really helped me 
get rid of a lot of my arrogance where when I was all allopathic thinking though these advances we've made in the last 70 years are everything we know about mm-hmm. medicine and we've mm-hmm. cured it all and realizing that some of these therapies that have been around for millennia, Ayurveda, CCM, they have a lot of value to offer as well. And I've become shocked by some of these older treatments that do have grounding in science that are just ignored by the Western medicine. Uh, Brad, today I was on social media and I saw where cancer fighter Owen, which who's somebody I've interviewed, he he Mm -hmm. said in his post today, he said, I'm going to give you some advice. If you plan to follow the metabolic approach, mitochondrial approach to cancer treatment, don't tell anyone, don't tell your family because <laughs> of the pushback you get. So in the beginning, did you think, well, she's just lost her mind or were you in the beginning going, you know what? I'm on board. I'll be, I, I was pretty early, easily on board, I believe, Good. but it was basically like, I was like, I wanted to just make sure that she was making an informed decision. Yes. Oh, I right. Agree. And it, and so that was, I mean, I trust my wife enough to know that she wasn't just going to do something kooky just because she was stressed and freaking out. Right. And once I, I mean, that only took a split second for me to, to, you know, like, just be like, wait, what are we going to do? You know, like, and it wasn't like she was like, I'm quitting all my drugs. I'm right. like, I'm leaving that behind. You know, she was like, no, no, we're still doing all that stuff. And this is just in addition to that. Right. So. Yeah, it was actually a pretty easy call. It's like, oh, you just want to change your diet to be healthier? Well, <laughs> okay, that sounds like a great who idea. Who would argue yeah. with that? But I'm hearing people say that they go to their provider, and I've used this example where someone has said, there's the door. You know, if that's your approach, there's the door. And Dr. Seyfried even said recently on Max Lugavere and on Dr. Hyman, he said, people need to consider a hybrid ap- approach. That yeah. it, 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 We're not taking sides. We're combining all of this education, all of this wisdom, and we're putting it together. And that's what you've done. Wouldn't you say that, Maggie? Absolutely. And you are so correct that there's this arrogance among some Western doctors that, or a hopelessness that you can't be helped. You can't be cured. Just follow the spreadsheets, this flow chart of the available options until you're done and they can wash their hands of you. And I found, I mean, I've had a lot of conflicts with some of my Western doctors now, especially here in the States where I'll explain, because I listen to what they offer. They have a lot of research and credibility, but I make the decision myself. And so I don't lie to my doctors about what I do, but I tell them what I'm going to do. And sometimes they choose not to agree, but at the same time, they can't explain why I've lived this long, why I'm as functional (laughs) as I am. And, And it frustrates me to no end. And some of the responses I'll get from my primary oncologist are, well, what you're doing now is against my beliefs. Right. Or that it's uh, it's all the placebo effect. And all I can say to that is who cares? Right. Maybe I'm being healed by the placebo effect. Does that make you angry (laughs) that it's not your drugs? Goes back to mindset. Mindset is everything. And why can't, why, why aren't we teaching people more about the power of the mind? much less medicinals and, and herbs and walking on grass and getting sunlight in the day. I mean, we, we've just taken our patients and institutionalized them to a Petri dish of a dropper of medicine and going, that's it. That's your only choice. So I, I, I'm yeah. so glad you you would flex your muscle enough. What is your background? Like, what, what is your, what's your career, both of you? Because you have to have some chutzpah to be doing what you're doing. <laughs> 
I think I'm very lucky that I was such a difficult person and always believed in myself. Yes, yes. And that I had a partner like Brad right. who believed in me too. Um, so my background was in uh, media, journalism, technology management. Yes, good. So I, I worked as a manager or at the executive level. And so I got used to being able to just push my way around right. bulldoze at times. And I felt pretty comfortable in that role, which I know can be not comfortable for others. And that's the reason that Brad and I, all we can say is you have to be your own Fight advocate. for yourself. For, yeah. Don't try yeah. to no. save your doctor's mm -hmm. feelings no. by dying mm -hmm. when he says you're going to. No, <laughs> yeah. no. And what about you, Brad? What's your uh, background? Uh, my background is actually in uh, uh, filmmaking. So uh, I was the uh, um, supervising editor of Jersey Shore. Oh, that's that kind right? of my, my, my largest credit. I love yes. It. <laughs> I was in reality TV for a long time. In Jim LA. Tan Laundry for the win. Man, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about Snooki in years. <laughs> he worked on that show too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've just brought me joy for today. You being in the media, your viewpoint is not necessarily uh, embraced because no one makes money off of the mitochondrial metabolic approach. So have you changed your message at all? Or are you going to fight back with that too? The source of our message really is exactly the same as yours, that people can make their own yes. choice. We just have to give them all the information. Yes. And it's terrifying to me that there was a study back in 2011 that it takes an average of 17 years for clinical research to become uh, <gasps> Treatments. Yeah. Wow. And so you think about something like Viagra or Prozac that is rushed to market because it's so profitable. Right. Something like fasting or changing your diet, exercise. It doesn't. These things have no cure. Yeah. It's pharmaceutical rep to go talk to a doctor. It doesn't have a marketing team behind it, yeah. which is what Brad and I are trying you to do. You are the marketing the team. Right. I love it. <laughs> well, yeah. And like a sort of a parallel is um, there is, they have actually gone through a clinical trial for children's epilepsy to prove that a ketogenic right. diet, it's a standard of care right. now for, you know, so whenever anyone is like, oh, the ketogenic diet isn't safe, it's like, well, they give it to kids. So, you know, it's like, yes, they do have supervision and, you know, they're making sure they have all their nutrients and things, but it's not, it's not as drastic as a lot of people make it seem. Um, but that still isn't the first line of care, even though it's the, the least toxic of any of the, 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 Yes. you know, cares that you could give to a child with epilepsy. So it's, that's a sort of, where we're following a sort of similar path where it's like, you know, there's a clinical trial right now ongoing for cancer patients with a ketogenic diet, you know, hopefully that we're just kind of keep moving the ball forward. Uh, one doctor I just talked to said, and she's a surgical oncologist, breast cancer surgical oncologist and Dr. Jen Simmons. And she said the, what she kind of resented from the medical field where she represents is the urgency you have cancer. There's the door. You've got to get started right now. You've got to get started tonight. And it's good. She tells her patients, get the information, chew on it a minute and decide what's best for you. And yes. I, I've never realized that that is the approach. Anybody I see on social media, they'll say, I've got stage two breast cancer, which, you know, now there's some controversy, whether you need to treat that in it, but whatever. And they'll say, I'm starting tomorrow. I'm getting 30 rounds of radiation. I'm doing 18 weeks of chemotherapy. It, it's like they just give them the option of you've got 24 hours to make a decision. And that's not true. And this is the only decision. And this is the only decision, have. right? <laughs> yeah. That's happened to a friend of ours, honestly, who had a very early stage and she's been through hell, hell. for over a year. Hell. And I, I, 
to your point, there's a lot of evidence that's piling up that there's a lot fewer, less toxic ways to treat this. And, and you'll never hear about them from most conventional doctors. And it's not because they don't want to help people. It's that they don't have space to That's do. right. Yeah. That's exactly and, right. And back to your, just your point of the urgency, we totally believe that it's the, the, the cancer didn't develop in your body overnight. Right. So this idea that you got to like take it out tomorrow, it, you know, obviously there might be a few patients that that is yeah. good advice for, but in a general sense, take a deep breath, you know, think about what you're going to do, you know, the repercussions that the different things that you're going to have on your body and, you know, just make an, make an informed decision. Yeah. So in 2018, then you started a traditional path. When, when did the light bulb, light bulb go off and who told you about the magic of fasting? So it really was that first weekend when Brad and I that first weekend is when you did okay started that first fast and I think the first cancer books that I read was something light by Chris Carr who's still an inspiration and the radical remission book by Dr Kelly Turner and that's what introduced me to fasting and really gave me this hope that some people do survive these incredibly terminal devastating prognoses and thinking maybe maybe it could be me let's give it a chance. And so from there, I just dove into more and more research. That's where I found Dr. Seyfried's papers, a lot of the emerging research in the metabolic therapy. And when we talked about some of the pushback that you might get from using complementary treatments, the one that always drives me crazy was people saying, well, this diet isn't going to cure you. No kidding. No diet is going to cure, you know, stage four cancer, but it opens up all these other options, the mindset, the empowerment that you get. And, and it prolongs lives substantially. It improves the efficacy of traditional therapies. It improves your quality of life. life. Yes. Yes. And so when people push back on that, it's like, so what, I should have died after one year, like my doctor told me to, or is it okay that I've had five (laughs) wonderful years since then? Yeah. And if I do die tomorrow, which I don't plan to, uh, I've had a much better life and I wouldn't deny that to anybody. And it drives me crazy that anyone would deny that choice uh, to an individual to live a better life. Yeah, that's that's really the most interesting thing to us is this pushback for no good reason. Kind of like, okay, so you want to just change the way you eat. Okay, like why, you know, why do you have to like attack people that want to do this? That doesn't really quite make sense to us. But that, you know, there are people that are, you know. Don't want to do that. Well, honestly, I think part of it is some people can feel judged. Everyone has a tragic story. Everyone has some relationship to cancer. And I don't think they want to feel like it was within their loved one's control and that loved one wasn't strong enough. And we are never, ever Mm -hmm. saying that. Uh, Most people, I don't think, have access to some of this knowledge, which is why we're bringing it to the the public. But at the same time, if somebody chooses not to treat with the metabolic theory or anything mm-hmm. complimentary, that is their choice also. And I'm so happy to be talking to you because you really do understand oh, that there is this I entire do. spectrum that people can choose from. And they shouldn't feel guilty about that. They shouldn't feel like we're attacking them for not choosing to treat a certain way. Uh, yeah, just making it available. Yeah. One of the things I you mentioned earlier about how um, Safe Read and some other people were saying, like, don't tell people if you're going to yeah, like right. do this approach. Yeah. Uh, and what Maggie was just saying is we've actually, you know, tried to help some friends and family go through this um, and they frequently get pushed back from their close relatives. Right. It's like it's very difficult for you to make a decision like this if you don't have the support of the people around you. 
Um, and that's, that was really one of the hardest things for a little while. Maggie was a, um, a cancer coach and it was just really heartbreaking to have, you know, people that would come to her, I'm whether sure. it was the caregiver or the cancer patient, you know, really committed to this. But then one of the, uh, you know, the other half of that equation was, you know, speaking out pretty, pretty, you know, vehemently against it. And it's like, well, then drink your insurer, drink your orange juice, yeah, it's tough. have some sugar. Um, That's yeah. one of the most harmful it, things, I think, is that narrative of eat whatever you the, want during your diagnosis. Just don't lose weight. Well, and that why is, is that said? I don't understand that. Cachexia. But it's the thing is, okay, people think it's cachexia. This is the muscle wasting that's right. associated with most cancer right. deaths. But there's so much, so much research out there saying that losing fat is not the same as losing muscle right uh, a ketogenic diet can actually prevent cachexia and there's some early research saying that it could uh, reverse it and so i think it's a lot of doctors who just don't know any better because there is nobody pushing this new information and i i think doctors are scared of malpractice quite honestly no, right? I do if too. you tell your doctor yeah if you you tell your patient to eat less or to eat you know fewer calories right like even if they're better calories you know that kind of opens the door i think to to being able to you know have a patient come after yes. you later on we're so, a very litigious yeah. society so i do understand that and I, I i do want to be protective of the medical field and not throw them lump them all into one group um yeah education is one thing and uh, and we know big pharma and big food are the two goalposts that you know every tv commercial you see and every medical school we know has to have money to provide the education and we know who's doing it. So I, I understand that. I'm looking at some of the books right now that I've ordered from dogtalktv.com. It's a site where you can buy books about dogs and the proceeds help the local rescues, especially here in central Arkansas. The author of many of the books and the brainchild behind the website is Pat Becker Wallace. She's a philanthropist and certified NADOI dog trainer. That's a national association for dog obedience trainers. She's devoted her life to helping find forever homes for the dogs, but also matching the right breed with the right owner which is paramount in her dedication to animals. She's loved animals all of her life, but helping the dog rescue organizations is her life's goal now. Some of you might recognize her as the host of a national PBS series. It's called The World of Dogs Biography. She's now writing these books about dogs, partnering with authors to help educate your family, your friends, your grandchildren about the privilege of dog ownership. One of the books, in fact, on her website is written about the dogs at Heifer Ranch and benefits the ranch, which is west of Little Rock in central Arkansas. Go to dogtalktv.com. I ordered some of the books recently. I'm donating them to my granddaughter's school. I bet you have some creative ways you can help libraries as well. Go to dogtalktv.com now, order the books, and know you're helping the rescues. Hi, friends. I want to take a moment just to introduce you to something that I offer my listeners, my friends, my followers, and that is an online course where you can start fasting Today, yes, I do love me some intermittent fasting. I am a certified health coach and I began fasting in 2017. It totally changed my life. It changed the way not only that I look at food and nourishment nutrition, but I take less thyroid medicine. Some autoimmune diseases have been reversed. It's really the magic of fasting. But sometimes people just need a coach or a partner. But, you know, it may be cost prohibitive to hire someone like me by the hour. 
will do my online course. My online course, lisafishersaid.com slash academy. Right now for an introductory price is $49.97. You can start fasting today. The first video in that series is free. So go ahead and check that out. But I want you to get healthy and you can do it affordably. And then I'll save you money in the long run because you buy less food. <laughs> it's a great thing. I love fasting. I bet you will too. LisaFisherSaid.com slash academy. Now with the fasting, um, you first did that 24-hour fast, which I remember my first 24-hour fast. I wanted a gold star by my name and metal. I mean, <laughs> that's a big deal, but I bet that wasn't the only... I bet that wasn't the longest one you've done. What What's your longest fast? <laughs> 10 days. You did do 10 days. So Brad and I, actually, we're on day two right now of our regular weekly fast. Yeah. And we've just become so, I wouldn't say addicted, but really appreciative of the benefits that we get from our weekly fast. We don't eat on Monday. It's water fasting. We have you know coffee, tea, and a lot of water, yeah. some electrolytes. Uh, for the physician prescribed medication yeah, sparkling water uh, and then once a month we'll have you know three to five days which feel great and then for me once a year i like to do a big clear out seven to ten days but personally for me recently i find that you know five days is optimal for me i'll refeed and then maybe do another five days if i need it like every treatment we talk about it's so profoundly individual absolutely and Ultimately, people will be able to feel in their own bodies or until that happens, find some help with a nutritionist or another practitioner who understands these options. Are you looking yeah. at ketones at that point? Brad, are you checking them? Um, yeah, I'm usually pretty fat adapted. Okay. So even if I if I check my ketones, they're almost especially if we're fasting, you know, I've, I've, my ketones are up and my glucose is down. Um, and I was going to just. Mentioned, Lisa, do you follow a, a ketogenic diet yourself? Um, I'm more of a meat-based diet with mm -hmm. um, beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. I eat some rice and local fruits in season and yeah, some, so some dairy if I can similar. tolerate it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like if you're on a diet, like probably either one of these yeah. where your glucose levels yes. are pretty, pretty, <laughs> yes. you know, a level. Yes. Um, then it's much easier to do fast. For I sure. I think a lot of people, you know... I mean, rightly so. It's like, they're like, I couldn't, you know, not eat for two or three days. Like we're sitting here talking about like, yeah, every week we don't eat on Monday. Right. It's like, it's not really even hard for us anymore. And that is because I believe that our glucose levels just are not constantly spiking and yeah, that dipping and spiking and dipping. And so, you know, if, even if I don't eat, I still have like a little set of glucose layer of glucose in my system well that, so. that's the magic of gluconeogenesis isn't it that the body because mm -hmm. um carbohydrates are not an essential macronutrient but protein and fat are yeah. and so the body so we're fearfully and wonderfully made as what the bible says the body then takes that and can make glucose for us so that's a pushback i get because i am a health coach from people with fasting when i get them uh, going down a fasting path is well i, I have to have carbs <laughs> you know I'm, no not really <laughs> you know if yeah. you want to enjoy them that's great so what in your diet was well, so what was your first dietary switch because you, you mentioned diet a lot Yes. So and because that was very early on for me, like that first week after I finished my first fast that Sunday, I determined I wasn't going to put anything into my body that I couldn't find a study on that it was actively healing. Wow. And by that, I meant it was going to improve my immune system. It was going to reduce inflammation or it can actively kill uh, cancer cells in the Petri dish. And so it started very small. And luckily, I'd started my uh, chemo, my radiation, I couldn't eat much anyway. So I was enforcing a fasting mimicking diet for okay. the first few months as it was. But it was mostly plant-based. 
a lot of it because I was born and raised vegetarian. Also living in Hong Kong, we didn't have sources of animal meat that we really trusted. Uh, I'm also one of the very few people for whom uh, animal protein will spike my glucose. It's happened to some people, but not many at all. So we figured out a pattern where I would eat my animal protein in the form of fatty fish or pasture organic uh, eggs Uh on the weekends, right before our big fast Uh on Monday, Uh reset my GKI, my glucose ketone index. And then we resume one meal a day, Tuesday through Thursday, that's mostly salads, and then have two meals on the weekends Woo, with living it up, living on the edge, and started it all over. <laughs> all <right. laughs> yeah. And Brad, is that you follow pretty much lock, stock, and barrel? It took what me a doing? little bit longer to get, like, it took me like a month or so to kind of get to the actual one meal a day, like literally eating exactly what she did. Yeah. Um, but eventually, we did, we did get there. So, are, yeah. are you getting enough protein? Oh. Now, for oh, well, sure. now, now we <laughs> oh. have, well, kind of like a more snackier meal. I, I don't know, like a lighter lunch. Now we're, that, this was, she's talking about when yeah, she was first diagnosed yeah. and she was really trying to, you know, um, you know, after a year of being cancer free, uh, we kind of lighten things up a little bit. I we mean, moved from Hong Kong and it, yeah. really the big focus for us now is metabolic flexibility yes. because our cancer cells don't have what our hot healthy cells have, being able to metabolize all these different uh uh, substrates of food. And so we'll go through periods of carnivore, uh, yeah. back to a little bit more plant-based, mm-hmm. ancestral eating. Yeah. The one thing that is important through all of our ways of eating is it's whole foods. Right. And no right. doctor worth his salt is ever going to tell you that you should eat more processed food or you should eat more sugar. Right. And so like so many of these metabolic therapies that we're talking about, they don't hurt <laughs> if you're going to add them. Right. Like eating less sugar, eating less processed food, getting a little bit of movement in your life, yes. getting some mindfulness-based stress reduction, mm-hmm. whether that's prayer or meditation mm-hmm. or yoga. These are things that anybody can add to their treatment. And whether or not you believe they're actually going to improve your outcome, they're definitely going to improve your quality of life. And, and you know, this is um, a perspective we don't hear enough about, that the quality of life for cancer patients that go through a traditional allopathic method, it sucks, y'all. And, you know, we've all watched somebody sitting there with her wig on, staring outside the window, getting ready. And I'm thinking of my mother-in-law and she didn't die until they gave her that one. It spread to her brain. They gave her that one gamma knife and she was gone. And I remember that's when my husband and I, 20 years ago, that's why I'm long time on this train. 20 years ago, I said, and I say that I've not walked anybody's path in their shoes, but I said, then I won't do that because that was the two years that she missed her grandchildren, her children, and she suffered. And I hated watching someone suffer. So you've actually, I'm, I know you've suffered because it's still very difficult, but you're thriving. And that's what the message I think is so important that the Joneses have. And we're going to talk about the cancer revolution in just a minute, but is that you can thrive during cancer treatment. And with cancer. And, and with I cancer. Yeah, I've very lucky that I have no active disease now, but I don't feel like I need that to be healthy or happy. And I know so many women who have survived for decades with their terminal stage four diagnoses. Wow. And it's when people listen to their doctors about their prognosis, like, yes, always take your doctor's opinion about treatment, things like that. But when a doctor tells you you're going to die this year, you don't have to do it. And <laughs> <laughs> I look at somebody like, you know, your love person with, uh, breast cancer, the person we were 
talking about earlier with stage two who went through these two years of hell that don't have to be done and it does break my heart and i've had my own story but i think it's so much more difficult for the people who the caregivers oh who are left behind (gasps) it breaks my heart and maggie brought up a point that we we frequently make it's not in our documentary but just this idea that we don't like to think of Maggie as being cured or anyone with cancer as being cured. I mean, your chance of remission is is so much greater if you've had any, um, even one type of cancer. Um, and so we really like to, you know, sort of advocate for people to like stay on top of it and still keep that mindset. Obviously, you know, when you've been, you know, no evidence of disease for a little while, you might be able to, you know, back venture off, off on mm-hmm. as far as your diet a little bit. But, but don't go back to the way of life that gave you cancer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> don't go back to the fast food and where, yeah, exactly. Whatever you did that, that made you end up where you are. I mean, if you if you have that choice, obviously some people can't move, you know, but and they live near something that caused their cancer. But if you can you know, just keep those things out that you eliminated. Well, the thing she's yeah. talking about, you um, introduce fasting, you um, change your mindset, nutrition, anyone can do at a grocery store, but it's just the foods you choose. Nobody has a gun to your head to eat, you know, the the junk food that you, but there's an addictive quality, obviously, that people have to get away from. Yeah. Now, let's talk about your screenings, imaging, diagnostic tools. What What is a part of your monthly or quarterly trip to the doctor? So of course, when I started, it was the quarterly uh, PET CT. But you know, after a year, I had no active disease, there would be no metabolic activity in my pets. So here in the US, I do a CT scan. And I know this is very, uh, it's up to every individual yeah. how they want to scan. I do it twice a year. And we're very lucky in our tiny 700 square foot condo to have a uh, sauna. Good. And so I can you know, go through some healing processes to get rid of the heavy metals, things like okay. that. But I do my scanning with awareness. And that I think is what's important for people that they know what they're getting into. I'm also really lucky that I have a cancer tumor marker in my blood test that does track my cancer oh, pretty accurately. Okay. So I'll do that, you know, once or twice a month, I'll take that just to yeah. reassure myself that yeah. I'm on the right track or if things are going up to reevaluate my self-care, making sure I'm doing everything that I can. And I mean, yeah. that, that's really it. But ultimately I can feel in my body if things are good or they're not. Really and I couldn't can. do this in the beginning. I, I believe that. It, it took struggles for me. And so I had a point last year where I thought I had a recurrence because I just felt something and I got went and I got my blood test and yes, my cancer tumor markers were elevated. And so I talked to my oncologist and I got a CT scan and yes, they could see something and eventually I could actually see it in my neck. But I did a six day water fast, everything resolved, it was all gone. We never did a biopsy, so we'll never know if it was a real recurrence. But it was first amazing to me that I was able to feel it before everything. And secondly, that it was able to resolve without any intervention. that is, that is kind of just like a so stressful few weeks. Mm, I can't just imagine. Like, I think something's wrong. I'm going to, you know, like. But to your point, I didn't have uh, that urgency this time because yeah. it's something I'm familiar oh, with, something yeah. I've been living with. And I felt very comfortable. Honestly, I don't have any fear of cancer anymore. Um, my big problem is obviously what's going on in my brain with the necrosis. Some yes. of your listeners will hear my voice isn't optimal because of my aphasia. And, and I'm just so glad I've had this cancer experience to teach me that I can heal. And if I give myself time, I have already improved dramatically in the last year. And it's just the next step in self-healing. Well, do you need to see a neurologist then for the necrosis or you just can manage it yourself? 
I have a, a neuro oncologist. Oh, okay. And right here in the states, and he's he's pretty wonderful. He is constrained by the hospital and what he can do, but he's very supportive. Unlike my primary oncologist, when I tell him how I've chosen to treat. He says, yes, that's not going to hurt you. I can't prescribe that right. for you or support it in any yeah. way, but I got it. And, you know, some of these treatments, like I, we came to the U.S. to try hyperbaric oxygen yeah. therapy. Um, they were, my oncologists were angrily opposed to it, saying absolutely it does not work anything. When my cancer or my necrosis progression stopped, they eventually yeah. put in my chart that they think it's because of the hyperbaric oxygen. <laughs> That's a victory. <laughs> That's a victory. And I think that it's actually an approved treatment for, for necrosis. necrosis. Is it yeah. Really? So it was just this particular yes. oncologist that was opposed to it, like very oh. opposed to it, but it's not a, it's, it's a treatment for necrosis. At so. least in some countries, it's yeah. just all no, in the U.S. I believe. Now, yeah. And it's yeah. just why you have to be your own. Advocate. You absolutely do. Is hyperbaric oxygen then kind of a prophylactic for a cancer or is red light sauna therapy or any of those things something that everyone you, you would recommend everyone does every day? Or when they can. I well, and you know me, I'm so individual. Right. During my cancer journey, that first year when I actually did have detectable disease, I never had an opportunity to try some of those things. I never tried vitamin C or mistletoe. Okay. We did have a sauna in the building that we used until COVID, uh, and love that, which is why we have it here. And I never tried high pressure hyperbaric therapy because it wasn't available in Hong Kong. Okay. We actually ended up moving to London specifically for that reason Is in that 2020, right? the weekend yeah. before shutdown of COVID, yeah. so I could never use it there. Yeah. And it wasn't until, uh, when was it? It was the end of 2020 that I had my first seizure. And that's when we realized okay. that I had to do something about this necrosis. And that's when we found a cheap used HBOT chamber in the U.S. And we ended up moving here. Yeah, it's really interesting that she was. we were actually trying to do. I was finishing an MBA, a late in life MBA. So that's why we ended up going to London. And yeah, she was like, I'm going to do hyperbaric while we're there. And then this just a few you know months later, she had this um this just big seizure and it's like i really wonder if she would have been able to get the hyperbaric while we were in london because we were there for about six months while we were finishing this mba if she if it would have actually what what could have happened you know it's like see that's another thing that makes me resent covid in that people who are pursuing their good health and their treatments that was also they put a lid on that so yeah no, I mean, there was a lot of stories about people that were just trying to like, having heart attacks and like not going into the hospital, right? In like, our just, building, yeah. having their chemo delivered to them so they could do the infusion themselves without supervision. Yeah. It's oh terrible. my yeah. gosh. But better than missing, I guess, a therapy that you feel in your heart that you think you need. Yeah. Just the power of placebo and that mindset yeah, was that's true. really yeah. affected. Now, uh, do you continue mistletoe therapy or the vitamin C? Or I've never, never tried oh, you never any did of those, all. but okay. I love having my back pocket. Yeah. If I do if, have a recurrence that needs yeah. something more. Yeah. I've read so many different healing modalities that I love knowing about. Um, we have a summit in September where we're getting together some of these great people who have written books about, uh, you know, mistletoe, vitamin C, all of that. Uh, something new called photodynamic therapy. Like there oh. are so many less invasive treatments coming out and we just want to bring them to people so that they can see that whole palette and decide what resonates with them, what's going to yeah. work for them. And we know several people that have used mistletoe 
to great success and are um, speak really highly of it. So, yeah. Well, now let's talk about um, how you've combined your career with this message, which I think is, I know part of you's thinking, God, is this why you chose me so I could tell the story? You know, I I, I don't know. And I'm I'm not here to make an existential statement, but I'm so glad you're combining your knowledge with your skill set. Brad, tell us about uh, the film series. Let's talk about the summit. Let's dig deep into what you're doing. Yeah. So, you know, we, Maggie found these, you know, metabolic therapies, this metabolic theory of cancer. Um, And not that there aren't books out there, but there's not a lot of people that are going to, you know, especially when they have cancer or when they're, you know, the the caregiver are just going to be like, you know, I'm going to go on Amazon and buy like a half a dozen books and just, you know, like, plow through these yep. things. A lot of people don't have that, that time. And some of the, the knowledge is, can be a little, let's just say sciencey, right? It can right. be difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. And so we were like, we need to get this message across in a way that's just simpler and easier so that people can just digest it and not have to, you know, like be bombarded with some, not, not be like a chemical engineer to like understand this <laughs> right. stuff. Right. And so, um, we approached uh, Travis Christofferson, who wrote the great book, uh, Tripping Over the Truth. Um, we were like, hey, do you think um, you, you know, you'd be open to doing an interview? And if so, you know, we think we, we could make a, a documentary about this. And luckily, he was uh, very receptive to the idea. He reached out to Thomas Seyfried for us and put us in touch with him. Tom said yes right away. Wow. And kind of once we had the two of them on board, several other people you know, signed up, said yes when we approached them. So um, it ended up being fantastic. Um, and yeah, what, what would you add? And so we moved to the States at the end of 2020. And I was like, Brad, what are we going to do here? And he <laughs> said, it's time to make this documentary. Wow. And at the time, we thought it was going to be a, you know, yeah. 90 minute documentary, one and done in a year. And it's since turned into this docuseries because we have collected so much information from these incredible scientists and practitioners. And we took it to a focus group in 2021 to show them the raw footage we collected. And they all agreed that this had to be yep, a series. Absolutely. You couldn't cut anything out. And so uh, episode one is now in festivals. In fact, they wanted us to add more. Yeah. <laughs> season two. Season yeah. two. <laughs> but episode one is in uh, festivals right now. And the feedback has been incredible from a production standpoint. Brad is incredibly talented as a filmmaker. And I think on IMDb, we have 74 awards right now. Unbelievable. And going to festivals. Um, but as you say, there is still a little bit of pushback from the community yeah. that isn't ready to accept some of this information, yeah. which is but- why... Oh. Yeah, what we're talking about is just so, so for sure. I mean, it's evidence-based, it's published, peer-reviewed. Right. It's not us talking. It's not about right. my story. It's about these scientists talking about their research. And it's, yeah. it's pretty fun. <laughs> and I was going to say that we've we sort of, um, as you might guess, we've had you know a, a great reception from within this metabolic community. Uh-huh. But the greatest thing to me is people that just don't even have a dog in the cancer fight, right? There are people that just randomly see this movie um, as part of a film festival. Oh. And they have reached out to okay. us and, you know, or comment on social media, you know, just how much they liked the movie. And that's, I mean, all of the, the awards that we've won, those aren't like, you know, cancer or metabolic awards, right? These are just just it's a film festivals story. that are out there, right? It's just like, <laughs> you know, like a good, good, uh, a good film. So we're just, um, 
it's just good. It just feels good to know that the, the word is out there and it's resonating with just everyday people. So maybe there's actually even like a little bit of prevention going on. That's what it good. That would be great. Good. So, so um, in addition to the festival, how many episodes? We've been going to some. Well, how many episodes there's do you one have? one that's done now. Okay. One done now. There will be four plus a bonus episode. We haven't decided yet whether the bonus is the beginning of season two or the end of season one. But you can read all the details at cancerrevolution.film. Uh, and some of the incredible uh, casts that we have involved. And because not everybody can make it to a festival or to one of our conferences, we're doing an online world premiere streaming. So you can watch it from your home, not just episode one, but a lot of bonus footage and though we can't guarantee, hopefully episode two <laughs> in September. And people can sign up for a donation of any amount to stream that at their home. And... Um, yeah, it should be great, and it's I also mean, tax deductible because oh, we are a nonprofit. You are five hundred one c three. Okay, I will definitely yeah, donate. Uh, and you'll tell me the link now, and I will put this in the show notes. So, actually, the link where you can do everything, whether it's just signing up for the streaming world premiere or also the summit, is cancerrevolution.events. Okay, but there's a link to that from cancerrevolution.film too. And for the summit, we're doing it at the same time as the world premiere. And for the series, we're doing very evergreen information on the why of metabolic therapy. Why does it work? Okay. How come you haven't heard about it from your doctor so far? Yeah. Uh, right. But not so much on the individual treatments. And that's why we're holding the summit to bring together just the very latest cutting edge research spoken by the practitioners themselves. And we have over three dozen amazing people contributing right now. And the information on that is at the same URL, cancerrevolution.events. Okay, just because I'm a journalist yeah. and I'm spelling, am I saying, cancer evolution when I type it out or cancer and then revolution? Such a good one question. R. One R. Okay. <laughs> cancer evolution. Okay. All right. It's, it's a play on words, but yeah. I got it. Uh, it can be a pain. Yeah. I'm very yeah. visual. It's cancer revolution, one R. So I wanted yeah. to make sure that we're not, because we're saying really it's a revolution, but it's also the evolution of it cancer. Is. So yeah. I, I totally see where you're going with that. I just want to make sure yeah. we get all that information correct. Kind of like right here behind us. Yeah. Answer. For people who are viewing. Yeah. People who can see it. Yeah. Uh, anyone's looking. Yes. On yeah. our my YouTube channel, you can see this. And it says the newest hope for cancer is one of the oldest. Isn't that, yeah. it's been, isn't that, uh, that's fabulous. It is. It's one of yeah. the oldest the, um, treatments or hopes. Yeah. When you start looking into this, the, the basically before we discovered the structure of DNA, this metabolic theory of cancer was 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 neck and neck with the you know chromosomes being the cause of cancer. Uh -huh. And but once we realized what the structure of DNA was and that that was you know DNA encoded for everything, this metabolic theory of cancer that your mitochondria become damaged and then you know send a signal to your to your nucleus to do something about it that just got left behind and there's political reasons, historical reasons. Yeah. Um, but it's, I mean, there's no conspiracy theory about it. It's just the way that people work, right? It's really easy for to see scientists gravitated towards DNA and this theory just kind of got left behind. And, and the yeah. tragedy of that is taking away people's empowerments right. of telling you it's all in your genes. You're one of the unlucky words. There's nothing you can do. And it breaks my heart. And again, not to blame anyone right. for their cancer, because of the society that we live in, but you do have 
at the, your agency, you can do things that will improve your outcome. And that's what we want to tell people. In underdeveloped countries or third world countries, and somebody has cancer, and they don't have the diagnostic tools, and they don't have big pharma chasing them, it makes me wonder, do they just beat it because they're out in the the savanna and they're killing their animals and they're fasting because that's how they eat and then they're eating the local fresh fruits and vegetables and they get over it those people don't get cancer in the first place lisa (laughs) (laughs) and well they didn't used to but now we have all these food products going into those regions that never did have cancer that's true and the standard american diet the western diet is it's it just breaks my heart (laughs) yeah oh yeah and yeah, the- but we did actually, you know, it's what you mentioned. It reminds me of uh, we spoke with Dr. Uh, Walter Longo yeah. for the documentary and he's a he's a fasting. That's his that's his main that's area right. of expertise. And he is like, hey, this is really his, some of his studies are really showing how efficacy or how much efficacy fasting can have towards cancer. And he's like, yeah, our goal is to basically be able to push this out to somebody who can't afford, you know, a really expensive cancer drug, but this could still have a, you know, because this is free, a, a, an amazing effect. Yeah, fasting you know? is free. So yeah. And doesn't Doctor yeah. Seyfried say that a seven day fast reduces your cancer load by like ninety five percent? It wow. it's some I have it's not heard it's that. some I'm statistic. Kind of I think um, Ben Azadi shared that recently on his social media. He's the keto camp guy and big, you know, proponent of intermittent fasting, Dr. Mindy Pels, a lot of these people that I follow. And it was, it was impressive that what a seven day fast, it's like taking the wash rag and wringing it out and just, you know, Mm -hmm. starting over. And that's what all those old cells. And that's what we know about the magic of autophagy, obviously, that was, you know, discovered in 2016 by the Japanese researcher. But again, our bodies, our ancestors did it for generations. We didn't, you know, Dr. Fung, that's part of his story, is that mm-hmm. until we started this constant feeding and we had to eat breakfast, lunch, and day and snacks. And then, you know, that was adopted, obviously, by hospitals because thyroid and uh, diabetic patients, I'm a thyroid patient, but our endocrinologist, uh, diabetic ed- educator would talk to thyroid patients and tell us to eat five times a day and eat two snacks. I mean, you know, it's yeah. go, really? And, and then this whole society builds up around it where you do start to feel guilt like you're accusing someone of being unhealthy if you're eating healthy for yourself and i am just so fortunate that we were in hong kong away from most of our social circle at the time (laughs) yeah so i could flatly decline any kind of food that wasn't healing i mean it was was actually i i we both i I mean i was particular put on weight when we came back to the states and more there were more options for healthy food it was easier to find organic food grass-fed beef nuts right when we were in hong kong it was hard to find the good stuff and (laughs) so we were just like out of necessity sort of on this diet and yeah i put on like 10 pounds when we came back to the u.s (laughs) and for people who are going to work and they're having to cook for their families and still socialize and things like that it's hard and i understand it's hard but it's still possible and i consider my healing way of eating part of my cancer treatment and so i treated it that way in hong kong and if somebody came to me at chinese new year offering me moon cakes very unacceptable to say no but i would just say as part of my cancer treatment i can't eat this and anyone I realized at that point who was still trying to pressure me to eat in a conventional Western way, they didn't have my best interest at heart. And so there was no reason to have to change my healing to accommodate their feelings. Yeah. That is such a sign of maturity. You are so grown up. 
you know? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> yes, I told you, Brad. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.